Back again. It's modern dadhood, and we're back again. We good? We're good. Are you good? Always. I'm good. Mark, thanks for showing up. Um, I had no choice but to show up. You told me to show up. I would argue that you had a choice. I mean, I've been blown off before for things. By me? It wouldn't. No, not by you. But I'm just saying, like, if you blew me off, it's not like the whole thing's over. No, I would never blow you off, man. Once you introduce the podcast. I will. I will. Friends, you're listening to Modern Dadhood, which is an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this moment. As we've uh, already covered, my name is Mark, M-A-R-C, and I'm a dad to twin boy 4.7-year-olds, and I have two of them, uh, which is the same as having a 10-year-old. Of course, that's how it works. Don't think about it too hard. What about you? My name is Adam Flaherty, and I'm a dad to two daughters who are eight and a half and five and a half. Dads, wherever you're listening, we would ask that you please take a moment to subscribe and to leave Modern Dadhood a rating and a review. It can be very quick, and it goes a long way for us. That may be on Apple, on Amazon Music, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Pocket Casts, uh, anywhere you might be listening. Thank you so much for your support. You know, you didn't you didn't address that to the grandparents in the audience. All the memals and peepaws out there. Pretty sure if I say dads, mm-hmm. any grandfather listening is also a dad. Yeah, but they went but they went like this. They went, "What? Huh? Who are we chatting with today, Marcus?" I'm excited because we're talking to Joe Cohane today, journalist, writer, editor, uh, he's got work in all sorts of publications. Uh, he's got a great article that you and I both uh, read in Men's Health about uh, postpartum depression in men. What do you think about that? I think it's great. I think we had an awesome chat with him, and I think that we should play it back in about uh, six minutes. Six minutes. Start the clock. By the way, how was your Halloween? Good? Oh, yeah. Halloween was great. You know, I, we've 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 talked about it before, but we get uh hundreds of kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. So it's a it is a zoo. It's wonderful. But it was awesome. Girls had a blast. They ate tons of candy. I didn't eat I ate no candy. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me about eating no candy. We don't have to talk about it. I know, I know, I know. But look, don't forget what's right here. Points to shoulder. <laughs> a, a soft f- piece of fabric for my that will collect my tears yeah <laughs> yes uh costumes i had a, a mirabelle from encanto mirabelle. and i had a wednesday adams did you uh did did you and sarah dress up at all uh sarah dressed up she did like morticia um usually i pull together a costume last minute but i just wasn't feeling it this year and uh, and I hung back and handed out candy, and it was a, a very enjoyable, uh, non-stressful uh, evening. That's fun. That's fun. Handing out candy is also is also fun. We're we're still at the point where we just we got we got to go out with the kids. We just leave the bucket. Yep. With a little sign that no one reads that says "Please take one." Yep. 
Uh, but yeah, yeah, we went, uh, we tried to do a family thing this year. We did all superheroes. Uh, one son wanted to be Batman. The other one wanted to be Spider-Man. So we had two comic book universes to deal with. Jamie, my, my wonderful wife, if you've never seen a photo of her, she's, she's blonde and she's, she's perfect for, uh, Harley Quinn for the Harley Quinn character. I can see that. Yeah. So she, she, she went all in on the Harley Quinn character uh, to the point where um, all throughout our house are uh, are sequins from her red and blue shorts, yeah. like hot hot pants shorts that she had yeah, yeah. on with her costume. But she she nailed it. She did fantastic. It was a lot of fun. So she did the DC universe. I had to go Marvel. So you, got- you let me guess you you could pull off Peter Parker really well. You have I that could. look. You look I like totally Tobey Maguire. I totally could. Uh, I'm nerdy. Uh, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm gaunt. I'm frail. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> would, you frail just wouldn't appearance. have to dress up. You could just wear your own Mark Jacket style. And yeah. but I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't be Spider Man because because my son was Spider Man. So um, right. I just chose another character. I went with uh, the the Bruce the, Wayne, the Hulk. Oh, the that's incredible a good Hulk. And uh, I found a ridiculous inflatable costume. So it, yeah. And then I just went nuts with the green face paint. And uh, it was a good time. A good, a good time was had uh, by all. Now we got to figure out how to get rid of all the candy without the kids realizing. I think I can f- find a way. Unhinge the jaw and, and all of it down the hatch, <laughs> wrappers and all. Just check just, myself into the morgue and uh, just lay back and, <laughs> and die happy. Just anaconda that bucket of candy <laughs> down the gullet. <laughs> All right. Well, look, I'm here. I'm here for you if you want to talk about it. All right. Okay. Speaking of talking about things, uh, we're segue ever. I'm excited to talk about uh, this topic today. Postpartum depression in men. This is a thing that's been on my radar for, I think, probably our collective radar for a while in terms of topics. Um, but I, I, while I never personally suffered from postpartum depression myself, my wife did, Jamie did, she had quite a severe, she suffered quite severely from postpartum depression for probably four to six months after the kids were born. Wow. So, so, uh, so I had a firsthand sort of experience like a front row seat in seeing like how severe something like that can get. And this is something that was before kids was sort of on the peripheral. I, I knew what postpartum depression was in so far as this is a thing that a large percentage of women go through. And even throughout the pregnancy the days after the birth being in the hospital and then the months after uh, dealing with some severe depression along with my wife, I still never heard anything in regards to postpartum depression and how it affects men in any way. Obviously, there's a, a stigma attached to the subject at large. You know, and and postpartum depression in women is a very real issue, and it's but it definitely you know at once we started this show and we started talking about dadhood and what modern dadhood is. This particular topic is a topic that sort of has come up 
time and time again for me because I experienced it with alongside of my wife, but also because I noticed how little it was talked about throughout that whole time. I, I almost feel like you can't talk about this in, until you start to sort of pick apart all of the layers of stigma. It's like an onion in the sense that sort of you peel off one layer and, and you uh, you talk about the stigma, quote unquote, attached to it. But you realize then you find another sort of stigma that's attached to something else as well. And I, what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is, is like, on one hand, not all of it, but a lot of it comes from this, this preconceived notion of what you're supposed to be as a dad when you become a dad. And even more, let's just say like more primal than that is like, you're a guy, you, you protect, you, you know, Mm -hmm. you take care of, and you protect you and you provide. And it seems simple when you think about it in those terms. And if you feel like you can't do that, well, then you're not just failing as like a, a parent, you're failing as a man also. Right. And then of course there's, there's, and this is what I mean by like the layers, right? Like that's one thing. But then also if you make yourself emotionally vulnerable in starting to talk about this kind of stuff, that in and of itself has a little bit of a stigma attached to it because you want to try to talk about it to get better. But at the same time, talking about your emotions deeply like that, just compound those feelings of, well, I'm, I'm all, I'm not a man. I'm already not a man. Now I'm even more of not a man Mm. because I'm sitting here like weeping and I want to talk with somebody about it. But then you add to that (laughs) the layer that you look at your wife, you're not only failing your new child and you're failing yourself as a man, you're failing her also because she's relying on you to do this this thing. And if you add to that scenario, postpartum depression, if your wife has postpartum depression, you know, then it's like, then you want to revert even further back, even further away into this totally unattainable, I'm going to power through it without any help kind of, you know, it's just these things, these just layers that like compound and fold in on themselves and make it more and more difficult to even begin to 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 deal with it right so it it in that layer that you're describing if you don't address it you eventually become a less effective less uh helpful less dependable partner yeah and parent yeah but if you do address it Mm -hmm. then there's a stigma already that attention shouldn't be on you for this when right. she's the one who carried and delivered this child feels like and a, you were just there. Right. It feels like a classic lose, lose situation. The article that we are referring to in men's health written by Joe Cohane is called the unrelenting agony of being a depressed new dad. Paternal postpartum depression isn't a joke. It's an epidemic. We'll link to it in the show notes uh, and listeners. We highly recommend you check it out because it's a great article. I learned a lot from it and I think it would be a great time to play back our recent chat with Joe. So 
So I'm excited to welcome Joe Cohane to the conversation. Joe is a journalist and an editor uh, whose work has appeared in publications like The New Yorker, The Boston Globe, Entrepreneur Magazine, Esquire Magazine, uh, and many more. Joe lives with his wife and his six-year-old daughter in New York City. And uh, Joe, we're excited to have you here today to talk about uh, postpartum depression in men. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. So, Joe, obviously, you've covered lots of different topics pertaining to uh, men, pertaining to dads. But I'm curious how this topic of paternal postpartum depression uh, became of interest to you. Is this uh, something that was assigned to you by men's health? Is this uh, something that's inspired by your own journey as a new dad? How did this article happen? Yeah, more of the latter. So I ended up pitching the story to men's health. Um, You know, my daughter is six years old now. When she was younger, it definitely scrambled me in a way that had never happened before. And I think that happens to everybody who has a kid. You never know what's coming until it's until it's arrived. But I had a, I had some problems when when she was little, probably for the first you know couple of years or so, where you know I was incredibly stressed out, incredibly tired. I felt like I was losing touch with myself. You know, I was my temper was bad. Just a lot of changes that I, I wasn't happy about. And I couldn't figure out what the problem was. Um, and, you know, in time, it's just kind of, I kind of dealt with it. I did the thing that, you know, I'm a Boston Irish Catholic guy where we are alien to therapy. And, you know, there's <laughs> the, the like fake Freud line that the, the Irish are the only people who are immune to psychoanalysis. Um, so definitely not the type of people for whom therapy is like the first thing that comes to mind when you're having a hard time. Hmm. Um, but it passed and I, I didn't. You know, I didn't think about it that much once I kind of got through it. Um, But then, you know, I was looking for story ideas and I started to wonder, well, maybe this is maybe this is something worth looking at. If this is a phenomenon, if this is something that's being studied, if this is something that we can cast um, some light on and maybe help some other guys who who might be going through a similar thing and and might have gotten blindsided by it and are disoriented and freaked out in the same way that I was. So I, I just started making some phone calls and I called some therapists and some psychologists. And it turns out that this is something that. Um, if not top of mind for people, was increasingly getting some attention. And there were some calls from some pretty credible people saying that this is a problem. This is something we need to look at. And maybe most of all needed to be destigmatized. Yeah. Yeah. You brought up the fact that it's stigmatized. I mean, we know a little about postpartum depression in women. I mean, it's something that's being studied more. It's something that's been, you know, getting more attention, I would say, maybe lately since like, say, the 90s on but paternal postpartum depression still really feels like there's a lot of unknowns i mean maybe maybe mm-hmm. you're you know finding some things you know in your research and obviously the, the article was chock full of really insightful stories and you know quotes from physicians and and so on and so forth it was really enlightening to 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 me but it just it still feels like it's unknown territory and it still feels like there's a lot of stigma around it you know, can you talk a little bit about some of the insights that you uncovered as you were researching and writing the article? Sure. Yeah. I mean, as you said, um, researchers have been taking postpartum depression in mothers seriously 
for really not that long. And it wasn't until 1994 that it was included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is like the Bible for mental health practitioners. And that's the, that's the book that contains like definitions of things. So they Mm -hmm. can be diagnosed, you know, so 1994 is not that long ago. And that was, that was when they made it official for male postpartum depression. um, That's not, that has not been included into the, into the DSM yet. So there is no standard diagnostic definition of it. And that makes it very difficult to diagnose it because if you don't have a definition, what are you going to say? You know, how are you going to, how are you going to define it? So there are similarities between um, maternal postpartum depression and paternal postpartum depression. The big differences are in the way that they present and sort of the nature of them. So in the Mm. case of postpartum depression in mothers, um, there is a chemical element to it, right? You don't see that so much in male postpartum depression. You see a lot of the same kind of like, you know, emotional withdrawal. You can see, you know, wild fluctuations in weight, uh, like high levels of anxiety, um, you know, rages, recurring thoughts of suicide or death, substance abuse. And all those things can be symptoms of maternal postpartum depression, too. The things that are more specific to men are kind of bound together with stoicism, with classic male stoicism. So, Emotional withdrawal, mm. anger, cynicism, indecisiveness, compulsive working, compulsive exercising, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you didn't know what you were looking at, that might not seem that unusual for you. That's why it, it really often falls to the men themselves to learn to recognize the danger signs and to seek help when they, when they experience them. The one tricky thing with male postpartum depression is that it often presents as like stoicism. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is partly due to the fact that, you know, men are raised to be stoic when they have a hard time. And while that can be really useful in some instances in mental health issues, it's actually a really harmful thing because you're hiding it from people who might be able to help you. So the stoicism, especially in a new father where you're expected to like, you know, to provide support, care and support for both the child and for your partner. And that means you're, you're expected to be the rock. You're expected to be mm-hmm. stoic. You can't complain. Your partner's gone through um, something incredibly difficult, something physically um, draining. Um, so when, when men in, those, in that context start to have a hard time, they just tend to revert to stoicism. I mean, I did. I went through this too. And when I, when I wrote the story, people couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like... A friend of mine was just like, you are remarkably good at hiding negative emotions. I had no clue. So it's kind of a coping mechanism, but it's also kind of a harmful coping mechanism. So what you're, you're talking about something that is harmful. I'm directly harming myself. And then there's these, it, it sort of radiates out from there, right? I might not, I might not be able to help the way that I, I should be, you know, for my family or I might not be able to pay close attention at work or something like that. But then there's this systemic layer in that you've got a whole group of people who are keeping things in, which does nothing for the medical community when it comes to studying this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's sort of a loop. Um, There's kind of a cycle that keeps it from getting the attention that it probably deserves. And some of it comes from men not reporting that they're having trouble, right? So there's not any data on this. Um, And I should add this to another key distinction between um, postpartum depression in women and men is that um, for women, it usually, the onset is usually right after birth, Mm -hmm. the immediate aftermath of the birth, whereas men, it can actually turn up a year later, Mm -hmm. two years later, and that makes it even more slippery and kind of hard to pin down. 
Um, but the systemic part is very interesting. So you have, you know, a bunch of guys who are having a hard time, but they've been raised to be stoic, so they're not telling anybody about it. So they don't go to doctors, right? Mm-hmm. They don't go to mental health practitioners. Doctors and mental health practitioners get no experience with this, and so it's not real to them. If it's not real to them, then they're not going to research it. If they're not researching it, there's not going to be grant money made available to mm-hmm. study it. Um, and if there's not grant money made available to study it, it's not going to end up in the DSN and be a diagnosable you know, condition. So these are all the things that, that are keeping it from happening. It's just this self-reinforcing cycle. Well, I wonder, like when you were experiencing this yourself in the year or a couple of years after your daughter was born, was it on your radar at that time that it could be this? No, I, don't, I had no idea about this. Um, I mean, you know, that first first couple of years or so was so intense. But no, I was just, um, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't get a handle on it. It was scary. It was disorienting. It was deeply confusing. You're not seeing people. You know, it can be very isolating to be a new parent. Um, the sleep deprivation is a killer. Like, that can really accelerate everything. But all this stuff started happening together in tandem, and I just didn't have any tools to deal with it. There are studies that show that if, you're, if you go a month um, where you're chronically sleep-deprived, children or no children, you'll start showing signs of uh, clinical depression. So sleep, not getting enough sleep is a killer. Um, and there's nothing you can do about it when you're a new parent. Like, it's, it's just going out the window. Um, but that's, that's, like, one of the main drivers. Um, the stress and anxiety of being a new parent, stress is a real driver. Uh, and that could be stress of balancing work and parenting. It could be sort of identity stress where you feel like you're losing yourself because your whole, you know, your whole place in the world has been altered by the arrival of a kid. But also like the stress of poverty, the stress of racism, that sort of thing, like that can really drive this too. Isolation is a big one. There have been studies on this, how isolation can drive depression. And you really are, you know, you're in a submarine. That's the, the best thing, the best way I can, best thing I can liken it to. Yeah. Those early days is like, I just remember them. I felt, I felt like I was underwater for so long, Um, you know, and it was early on. It's, it's a very joyous occasion in many ways, but like it was intense, man. And like, I wasn't leaving the house very much and that's very difficult for me. But those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings of failure, um, you couple that with stress, with isolation, with, um, you know, sleep deprivation, all that stuff. And it can, it can really get out of hand pretty quickly. We talk a lot about on the, on this show, what we have in terms of uh, roadmaps when we become fathers for the first time. So there, and so there's this whole aspect of you're trying to sort of course correct the things that you wish were different when you were growing up. Right. But then you add to that, just like on a large societal scale, we approach things so differently now than what perhaps maybe our parents or our parents' parents did. And especially when it comes to things like mental health. For, for example, I mean, this was not a topic at all that I talked about growing up with my parents, even though there was definitely signs of depression here and there and everywhere, you know, in, in my family, it was not it was not a topic at all. Yeah, I mean, to that point about role models, I, I don't think it's, you know, I, I think this has probably been consistent through the life of the species um, <laughs> where everyone looks at the way they were raised and they try to remedy mm-hmm. um, some of the things that they thought were subpar. Um, yeah. And in doing so, they create blind spots and they find new ways to screw up their kids. And then their kids get to remedy, try to remedy yep. that and make new mistakes. There's another cycle. So, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's sort of a farce. But yeah, it's just very interesting to me that like we are like... 
as a generation, we are trying to remedy certain certain um, imperfect things about the way we are raised, but we're also adding so much work to it that I think we're probably creating new problems um, unintentionally just by failing to cope with the workload, the sheer workload, not even to talk about the mental, the mental health component of it. If dads who are listening, you know, let's say they're six months into having their first kid and they're experiencing some of these um, symptoms, some of these behaviors that we've been describing, like if they go to their doctor and bring this up, would their doctor identify that and kind of label that or not necessarily because it's not something that is that has a hard and fast definition? Yeah, it can't. It can't really be diagnosed if it doesn't have a diagnostic. You know, if there aren't diagnostic criteria, like agreed upon diagnostic criteria. I mean, the bigger problem is that a lot of we're even talking about mental health professionals and doctors and nurses aren't aware that this is real. So what you can do is sort of unpack it. Um, you know, you don't need a diagnosis of postpartum depression necessarily. It can be an anxiety anxiety disorder. You know, it's sort of like an umbrella catch-all term for depression slash anxiety disorder. It could be both. It could be one or the other. Mm-hmm. But anything that's sort of debilitating, it's sort of um, preventing you from coping. It's preventing you from doing your work, doing the work you need to do. The sort of mental health community is probably catching up to it a little bit more now. They might have a better handle on it. Mm. Talk to fathers, you know, you'll be surprised. Um, if you talk to a few guys, most likely one of them, maybe without knowing what it is, might have gone through the same thing. Um, and so that normalizes it a little bit, makes it easier to talk about it, makes it seem like something you can get your arms around because it's something that's been experienced by many people and not just you alone. If therapy is your thing, then seek out therapy. Um, even if you don't think it's your thing, give it a shot. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. If you want to talk to a doctor, talk to a doctor. But, but I, I think the, if you're uncomfortable with talking to a professional about it, um, just talk to a, a couple other fathers and, and see what turns up. Yeah. I, I was talking with my wife uh, just before we hopped on here tonight. Because um, in, incidentally, sh- she actually suffered. She had a lot of difficulty with postpartum depression right after um, our kids were born. So just for your context, Joe, I have, we have twins. Um, and they're, they're four and a half. So after they were born, my wife, it just, it, it was, uh, it was like a, the flip of a switch is really kind of what it, what it felt like, you know, it was one day we didn't have kids and the next day we did. And every, everything was just so, so different. But one thing that we were talking about was the idea that she had this preconceived image in her mind of what motherhood was going to be like. For her, you know, she pictured, you know, having a a really, you know, quiet moment in the middle of the night, you know, breastfeeding and uh, with one kid and having this bonding experience and didn't pan out that way. And I wonder how much of that men also do, because I don't know that I personally like I don't know that I had these preconceived ideas of what especially the early years of, of parenthood was was going to be like, but I wonder if, I don't know if other men do do that. And if that plays a role sometimes, uh, in, it's in a really this. interesting point. There, there is one thing that I heard a lot from the guys I talked to and I, you know, I probably talked to 20 fathers for this. Um, I ended up putting, I think six in the story or five in the story. I just mm. didn't have room for everyone's stories, but th- there are so many good stories out there. One thing that a lot of them mentioned and a lot of therapists, um, affirmed as well when I asked them was, you're told 
in a way that the first time you meet your child, you're going to feel this incredibly profound bond. Yes. Right. Um, and everyone kind of is kind of told that and it's, it turns up in the culture and in the way people talk to people who are about to have kids like, Oh, just wait until you look into her eyes for the first time. You'll never, you know, you'll, you'll be bonded for life immediately. But the fact is that that's not, that's not always the case. Um, so a lot of guys, they'll be in the delivery room or wherever they meet the baby for the first time. Um, and it's not that they won't feel, they won't feel nothing, but they won't feel the magical transcendent sensation that they'd been they'd been told that they were going to feel and then they start to feel like is there something wrong with me Mm -hmm. um is this ever going to happen like do i not love my kid am i unfit and again like you pair that sort of stuff that kind of self-questioning with um, sleep deprivation stress and everything else and it it can get really out of control those thoughts can get really out of control and self and start um like self-reinforcing and then they can spiral out into feelings of more general inadequacy and ineptitude. And then all of a sudden you, you don't feel confident feeding the kid. You don't feel confident like changing a diaper. You feel like you're a bumbling idiot. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, and everyone's kind of a bumble, I mean, all fathers are bumbling (laughs) idiots, I think to a certain degree at the beginning, especially with the first kid, because you just don't know, you know, this is like a, it's the apocalypse, you know, it's like a wonderful apocalypse where it just shakes up everything in your life. Um, and you can't really be prepared for it. But, um, when guys start to get kind of hesitant and they start to get really feel really insecure, maybe they withdraw because they're not used to feeling like failures. Um, and then their partner might start not letting them do things because they're bumbling, just being like, give me the baby. You're not doing that right. And that sort of gatekeeping <laughs> can also accelerate postpartum depression as well. So you can see how like something little like that, like um, yeah. having a slight, a slightly, unreasonable expectation about the fathering process can under certain circumstances really spiral into a serious mental health crisis. I don't, I don't want to like diminish the seriousness of the topic here at all, but in a, in a, to a degree, it almost is, it just like has a PR problem in a sense that like, like I just can't help but wonder if we didn't refer to it, for example, as paternal postpartum depression, but instead just referred to it as like parental depression would we have an easier time when I say like the collective, we would we have an easier time talking about and finding solutions for men who are suffering from depression? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, it is, it is different from postpartum depression in women again, just because there's a, there's a chemical underpinning to postpartum depression in women that you don't really see in men necessarily, but yeah, parental depression for sure. I mean, I, I would hope that we get closer to an understanding of the stresses and the difficulties of modern parenthood for everybody to take a more holistic look at the mental health of parents in general and, and how they interact with, you know, with work, with society and that sort of thing, I think is, is well overdue and it's going to be absolutely necessary. There is sort of a framing problem here where dealing with emotional difficulty, I think historically has been, I mean, with men, has been equated to like wallowing, mm. whining, moaning, yeah weakness, that sort of thing. But it is a form of strength to take care of a problem that's preventing you from being the father that you should be, that you want to be, the partner that you should be and you want to be. It's problem solving. It's practical. Right. You know, it's eminently practical. Um, Like any other part of your life, if something was misfiring, if something was was getting in the way, if your radiator was clanging all night, you know, Mm -hmm. you fix the radiator. This is what you have to do. You got to call someone. You have to take care of it. So, you know, the more men talk about this, the better, because it destigmatizes it. Um, the numbers suggest that maybe one in 10 
Um, new fathers suffer from this. So it's a significant population of people. Um, but, you know, those one in 10, they're not talking to each other. And, and most of them don't even know what's happening to them. You know, they don't know that this is real and their doctors may not know it's real and society doesn't really want to listen to it. And that's a really that's a that's not an optimal situation for for the guys, for their partners or for the kids. And so spreading the word about it, talking about it, frankly, um, and then just going out and trying to fix a problem, I think, is the, the way to go about it. It's the way to frame it, too, when you when you're dealing with guys. Yeah, I love that idea of shifting the perspective and framing it as a problem that needs to be solved in a sort of way to kind of almost trick yourself into tackling it as opposed to yeah. avoiding it. Yeah, I always like my wife always laughs at like the dumb men's products that are like clearly just moisturizer like any other moisturizer but they call it like fighting tools or something yeah <laughs> you know like tools for your skin yeah, yeah you're not moist you're not moisturizing your skin you're defeating dry skin <laughs> right you're you crushing know? dry skin yeah but all that stuff like yeah i mean you, you know maybe we need a little we have a little hump we have to get over i mean the language needs to change and that's fine those products sell for a reason. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily advocating for, you know, capitalizing on that particular aspect of men, but <laughs> there's something to the psychology of it, I guess. Yeah. You got to make people comfortable. I mean, we've, we've been raised the way we've been raised, right? No. We're not, we're not captive to it, but it does need to be engaged with. Um, yeah. If you're going to, if you're ever going to hope for any sort of meaningful progress. Well, thanks for shedding some light on it and uh, and sharing your learnings and your experiences with us. We appreciate it. Um, Joe, before we let you go, I do want to plug that you released a book in April 2021 called The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World, which sounds awesome and I can't wait to read it. It sounds like you also uh, have a new co-written novel coming out soon-ish. Like two weeks, I guess, two, three weeks. Is a, no a novel called The Lemon, and it's just sort of a scathing satire of the high-end food world and Hollywood and the media, and we're adapting it for TV now. So the bulk of my time these days is, is writing the pilot for this TV show. Dads and moms listening, uh, you can learn more about Joe and, and his books and these projects uh, on his website, joecohane.net. That's Joe, K-E-O-H-A-N-E dot net. Thanks again, Joe. This really, it really has been uh, a pleasure talking to you and uh, we wish the best to you and your family. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's great talking to you. Thanks, Joe. I got an instant regret. You do? make this one quick okay i grew up in an old house okay. and occasionally there would be like you know a rodent that got trapped like in, in in the basement or in a wall and from so from a young age i sort of knew what that smell was when there's like a dead oh, rodent yeah. like a, a mouse yeah i know that smell my mom had a great nose for it and she, and and so I sort of developed that too. Mm -hmm. A few weeks ago, I was in one of my daughter's rooms and I caught a whiff of that smell and I'm like, I know what this mm, is. No. It's got to be a mouse somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I traced the smell to a corner of the room 
I couldn't find it anywhere. My daughter was like helping me try to, she wasn't freaked out. She was like trying to help me figure it out. And then, you know, we sort of landed on, well, must be in the wall, like whatever it'll within probably two days, that smell goes away. Mm -hmm. Didn't think anything more of it until Uh last night, Halloween night. Uh, on Halloween night, the story I went into my daughter's room. Mm-hmm. I turned on a floor lamp. That's one of those lamps that's like tall. And at the top, there's a dome, an mm-hmm. open dome in the light bulb. You could reach in and there's a light bulb inside. I turn on that light and I see a shadow inside that dome. Okay. Didn't think too much of it, but I, it, it caught my eye. So I tipped the light down towards me so that I could, you know, get to my height so I could see and inside. Oh God. It was a baby bat. No, what? And I'm like, well, at least I know, like I wasn't crazy. At least I've identified what that smell was, but then I'm like, I got to get it out of here. Of course, man, I'm getting the itchies from listening to this. Okay. So my kid was like around, but I'm like, she can't see this. Mm Hmm. So, you know, I go and get, you know, whatever, a big cloth and I kind of like scoop it out and I, and, you know, she's totally unaware. I bring it downstairs. Sarah's downstairs. And here is my instant regret. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the, I, I didn't pull any pranks, but I got downstairs mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm holding this in my hand and I'm like, I look at her and I'm like, remember a few weeks ago when I smelled that smell and couldn't find a mouse? Mm-hmm. She's like, you have one in your hand? I was like. Not exactly. <laughs> so I show her, she gasps and immediately her, her mind goes to like, we, we, we can't have a bad infestation. Like this is, I'm like, this is not a huge deal. Like we've never had an issue with bats before. Like mm-hmm. houses occasionally have stuff like this happen. It's not an emergency. And of course, like her mind's going to, that can't happen again. I'm not willing to risk our kid getting like bitten while she's sleeping, which like, I'm like, that's totally legitimate. Like I, I completely understand that. But again, my, my brain is like, this is a one-off thing. It's Mm -hmm. a tiny bat. It's dead. I don't think that there's a nest of them living in our home. Yeah. I had the wherewithal to not show my kid. Big dumb me couldn't like hide my excitement for finding a really cool dead animal to explore. <laughs> I had to tell my wife about hey, it and show hey, her. Hey, Sarah, check it out. Yeah. Check this check out. It out. Look You're at not going to believe this. Isn't this thing cool? What a moron. End of the episode, man. We did it? I don't want to do any of this script. Will you do it? I'll do it. You ready? Yeah. I'm going to do it at record in record speed. So blast through so, except for the Pete Morse part. Say that at normal speed so he gets the recognition he deserves. <clears throat> I will. Let me so grab- if you can do it in one breath. <clears throat> Dads, you can find us at moderndadhood.com or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever you listen, wherever you prefer to listen, please do us a favor, subscribe, leave us a quick rating and review, even tell a friend. If you do go to moderndadhood.com, you can check out. I can't do it. I can't do it. There's too much pressure. If you're over at moderndadhood.com, check out the t-shirts. Check out the dad hoodies. Some great stuff there. If you like the internet, but you don't want to go to the dot-coms, you spend your time on the Instagrams and the Facebook, you can search for us there. We're there also. <laughs> if you like email, if email's your thing, you can drop us a line at hey at moderndadhood.com. 
we have a few thanks that we always uh, like to, uh, you know, we'd like to profess here at the end of the episode. We'd like to say thanks to Casper Baby Pants and Spencer Albee for all the wonderful music you hear in Modern Dadhood. We'd like to say a special thanks to, to Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio for turning the turnies and dialing the dials and fading the fadies and mixing our show, making it sound wonderful. And of course, thank you so much to our wonderful guest, Joe Cohane. And finally, the tables have turned. Adam Flaherty <clears throat> will round out the episode with a special thanks. And thank you for listening.